Section 44 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Wagner, Tristan and Isolde. In the glorious days of chivalry, when King Arthur and his knights were gaining honor and renowned by their noble deeds, a stately bark might have been seen one golden noontide swiftly approaching the shores of Cornwall. Tristan, a valiant Cornish knight far famed for his prowess and untarnished honor, was bringing the beautiful Princess Isolde of Ireland as a bride for his uncle, King Mark, who held his court in Tintagel in Cornwall. And as they drew near to their native shores, the ready sailors broke forth into a glad song of greeting, rejoicing at the safe conclusion of their honorable mission. But there was no joy in the heart of Tristan, who stood at the helm, silent and full of gloom. For he himself loved this fair princess of Ireland, but a dark blood feud between them had forced him to stifle his own passion and to secure her as a bride for another. And a tumult was also raging in the heart of the proud Isolde, for she resented the alliance that had been made for her, and was filled with anger against the knight who came as ambassador to bear her away. For they had met before, these two, and a dread secret lay between them. For many years there had been a war between Ireland and Cornwall, and at last the King of Ireland had felt himself powerful enough to claim tribute from King Mark. Morold, the cousin and lover of Isolde, was sent to levy the tax, but he met with a sorry reception. For Tristan, the nephew and the bravest knight of King Mark, indignantly rescinded the claim, and challenged Morold to a mortal combat on the shore. And, to his joy, he defeated and slew the Irish knight, whose head was sent back as the only tribute the subjects of King Mark would pay to Ireland. But Tristan himself had also been grievously wounded by his adversary, and after searching in vain for a healer for his hurts, he crawled into a small boat and set it adrift in his feverish despair. The wind and the waves bore the frail craft far out from the coast, and at last the wounded knight found himself cast upon the shores of Ireland. Here he was hospitably received by the Irish king and his beautiful daughter, to whom he gave his name as Tantris, and the princess Isolde, being greatly skilled in leechcraft and famous for her knowledge of balsams and simples, set herself the task of healing the stranger's wounds. His noble appearance and pitiful plight soon won her heart, and Tristan, loving the fair princess directly he beheld her, was quick to vow fealty to her. But one day, as Isolde sat watching beside the couch of her charge, she noticed in the sick man's discarded sword a curiously shaped notch, which exactly fitted a splinter of steel that had been found embedded in the skull of Morold, whose head had lately arrived from Cornwall as a ghastly token of defeat and defiance. Knowing now that it was the world-renowned Tristan, the bold defier and enemy of Ireland, the slayer of her cousin and former lover Morold, who lay before her, and whom she had nursed so tenderly, Isolde was filled with scorn and anger, and seized the telltale sword in her hand. She rushed furiously forward, intending to plunge it in his heart. 
But Tristan's eyes met hers in such a pleading and helpless glance that the angry princess was quickly filled with pity, and felt she could not harm him as he lay thus in feebleness, and letting the sword drop gently to the ground. She crushed her revengeful feelings, and continued her nursing of the sick man. Yet Tristan did not dare speak of love to her again, feeling that Isolde would now regard his slaying of Morold as a blood feud and a barrier between them. And as soon as his wounds were sufficiently healed, he returned to Cornwall. Soon after this, peace was declared between the two countries, and as the crowning pledge of the truce, King Mark was persuaded by his knights to ask the hand of the Princess Isolde in marriage. Tristan joined heartily in pressing forward this plan, for, believing that Isolde was now lost to him, he felt that he could reward her best for her kindness to him by making her Queen of Cornwall. But King Mark was growing old, and, being childless, had decided to make Tristan his heir. And it was not until his beloved nephew himself added his entreaties to the desires of the courtiers that he at length gave consent. Then, when peace and friendship had been sworn by both nations, and the King of Ireland had willingly agreed to bestow his daughter upon King Mark as the pledge of their truce, Tristan was dispatched in a gilded barge to conduct the lovely bride to her new home. Isolde submitted to her father's will with due filial obedience and reverence but her heart was filled with scorn and hot anger against the brave knight she had nursed back to life and health. As she now reclined in her curtained recess within the stately vessel that bore her so swiftly away from her native land, she declared passionately to her attendant handmaid, Blangena, that she had been betrayed by Tristan, for after vowing fealty to her in Ireland, he had but returned to demand her in marriage for his kinsman, Brangena, alarmed at this outburst, attempted to soothe her mistress's angrily feelings by assuring her that Sir Tristan had doubtless meant to show his gratitude by making her Queen of Cornwall, and she added that King Mark, though advancing in years, was good and noble in disposition and worthy of admiration and regard. But Isolde gazed impatiently beyond the curtains at the silent, motionless figure of Tristan, wondering sadly how she could support a loveless life so near to that glorious knight, who now seemed so indifferent to her. For Tristan, struggling to repress the love in his heart, had kept sternly aloof from his fair charge throughout the voyage, fearing to trust himself in her presence. This seeming unkindness and studied coldness enraged the proud and unhappy princess to such a pitch that she determined that they should die together before landing in Cornwall and she sent Brangena to the helm to command Tristan's immediate presence in her recess. At first, Tristan refused to leave the helm, remembering his duty and loyalty to his royal uncle. But when, just as they were approaching the shore, Isolde sent another message, imperiously declaring that she would not land in Cornwall unless he sought her pardon first. The trembling knight was forced to yield to her request. Isolde, meanwhile, opened her casket of drugs and samples, saying she desired a potion that would cure her of all her woes, and selecting a vial containing a deadly poison, she bade Brangena pour it out into a golden cup, 
but Brangaena was horror-struck, and, determined to save her beloved mistress from the consequences of so rash a resolve, she poured away the poison unseen by Isolde, and filled the golden cup instead with a love-filter that the Queen of Ireland, skilled in sorcery, had placed in the casket of her daughter to drink with her husband on her wedding night. When Tristan appeared within the recess, Isolde began to pour forth bitter words of reproach upon him, declaring that though she had preserved his life when he lay in feebleness before her, she had still sworn vengeance upon him. And then, offering him the golden cup, she bade him drink its contents with her as a final truce to all their strife. The ship was by this time at the landing stage, where King Mark already stood with his lords, waiting to receive the lovely bride and full of despair tristan took the preferred cup and began to drink when he had swallowed half the draught isolde snatched the goblet from his trembling hand and drank the remainder and then the two stood and gazed into each other's eyes in wonder and bewilderment for the strange potion was coursing wildly through their veins like a fiery stream changing all their dull despair into glow of passion and filling their hearts with uncontrollable love and desire for each other and at last utterly powerless to fight against the ecstasy within them they fell into each other's arms overcome by a rapture they could not quell brangena terror-stricken at the dire result of her fond deed implored the lovers to recollect their duty and the scene that was going on around them for all their lords and attendants were now waiting for tristan to conduct his royal charge to king mark but the pair seemed wrapped in a sweet dream from which the joyous cries of a greeting gradually awakened them and then when they realized what had happened they were filled with despair and isolde sank back half fainting into tristan's outstretched arms but brangena eager to prevent the immediate discovery of their hapless love quickly roused her mistress and hung upon her shoulders the gorgeous royal mantle that had been provided for her nuptials and then tristan as in a trance, with woe in his heart, led his beloved one forth from the ship, and delivered her to the hands of his sovereign. Isolde and King Mark were immediately wedded, amidst great rejoicings. But although the unhappy victims of the fatal love potion had strength to loyally fulfill the pledge of peace between the two countries, they could not long keep their devouring passions within bounds. With the help of the devoted and remorseful Brangena, they frequently met in secret, and the rapture of these stolen interviews was a balm to their bleeding hearts, the one sweet chain that kept them still bound to life. But Tristan had an enemy, a knight named Melo, who, under the disguise of friendship, had gained his confidence and learned the secret of his hopeless passion, and who, having no real love for the man he called his friend, determined to use his woeful secret for his own base ends. For Milo was jealous of the renown and noble qualities of Tristan, and longed to supplant him in the regard of his royal master. And having now discovered a weapon to his hand in the secret confided to him by the unsuspecting knight, he eagerly sought an opportunity for betraying him, and quickly found one. Having persuaded the king to arrange a royal hunt one beautiful summer night, the crafty Milo easily induced Tristan to remain behind and so secured a long, sweet interview with his beloved Isolde. But the false friend gaily joined in the chase, intending to return in a short time with the king to entrap the lovers. 
when the hunting party had departed into the depths of the forest and the merry sounds of the horns could only be heard in the far distance isolde crept forth from the silent castle followed by her faithful handmaid and bidding brangaena kept watch near the forest she flung a lighted torch to the ground this being the signal for tristan's approach she then ran down the steps towards a moonlit avenue and in another moment the lovers were clasped in each other's arms it was a moment of intense joy and as the enraptured pair reclined together upon a mossy bank studded with sleeping flowers they poured out to each other in tenderest phrases the passionate love they were compelled to keep pent within their hearts before the eyes of the world it was midnight but the happy lovers cared not for time and would gladly have remained in such sweet converse forever but suddenly there was a cry from brangaena who rushed wildly forward declaring that they were betrayed and next moment king mark and a few of his lords broke hastily into the avenue having been led to the spot by melo who had found an opportunity during the hunt to inform his royal master of the lovers intended meeting at first king mark had refused to believe that his noblest and best beloved knight could thus betray his honour but as he stepped into the avenue and the living proof of it met his gaze he was filled with the deepest grief and began to pour forth bitter reproaches upon the wretched tristan who vainly endeavoured to hide isolde's shrinking form from the scornful gaze of the courtiers stung by the just reproaches of the king and enraged at the cruel treachery of his false friend tristan drew his sword and challenged milo to a fight and in his despair caring little to defend himself he allowed his adversary to overcome him and soon fell to the ground mortally wounded isolde was borne back fainting to the castle followed by king mark and his courtiers and tristan was carried in a dying condition on board a vessel by his faithful henchman curvenel who quickly set sail for brittany where his master owned a castle overlooking the sea here the sick man was at length placed in safety by curvenel who endeavoured to restore him to health but finding that his beloved master's wounds were too serious for him to heal and that he grew worse instead of better the poor henchman was in despair at last he bethought himself to send for isolde herself whom he knew to be greatly skilled in leechcraft and thinking only of his master's physical needs he dispatched a messenger in a swift vessel to entreat the beautiful queen to come and heal her most dying lover for several days later tristan remained in an unconscious state but upon being brought out into an open courtyard one sunny noontide he awoke from his topper and feebly asked for isolde curvenel answered that he had sent for her to come with healing balsam for his wounds and running to the walls he exclaimed joyfully that the vessel was now returning with isolde on board tristan was overjoyed at this glad news and when curvenel presently went to receive the welcome guest at the castle gates the wounded man's excitement knew no bounds in his eagerness to see his beloved once again he endeavoured to crawl from the couch but the effort of moving caused his terrible wounds to open afresh and just as isolde rushed through the gateway he uttered her name with a grasping cry of joy and fell back dead upon the couch isolde with a loud shriek of woe fell fainting upon his prostrate body 
and at that moment Kervanel was hailed by a second vessel that had immediately followed in the wake of the first. On this bark were King Mark with his knights, and also Brangaena, and quickly surmising that they were come with hostile intentions, the brave henchmen barricaded the entrance to the castle, and refused admittance to the newcomers who had instantly landed. Then, when the eager knights, by their superior force, broke through the gateway, Kervanel sprang furiously upon them and fought desperately in spite of their cries that they came in peace. The first to enter was the traitor, Melo, and with a crying triumph, Kervanel thrust him through the heart. Then, receiving a mortal wound himself, the faithful henchman crawled to the couch of the dead Tristan, and feeling for his beloved master's hand, he sank, dying at his feet. King Mark and his party now rushed forward, unhindered, and Brangaena, raising her still-breathing mistress in her arms, besought her to revive, since she had come with good news for her, for upon the flight of Isolde to the aid of Tristan, Brangaena had, in desperation, sought King Mark, and told him of how, quite unconsciously, Tristan and Isolde had swallowed the magic potion that had made them lovers for life, and, rejoicing to learn that his best-loved knight and beautiful queen were thus free from blame, since they were powerless to fight against the mighty filter, the noble-hearted king was filled with pity for the suffering they had endured. He resolved generously to renounce Isolde and permit the unhappy lovers to be united, and immediately entering his ship, he had followed with Brangaena and his knights in the wake of the flying queen. But the vessel had arrived too late, for Tristan was already dead, and full of grief, King Mark knelt, weeping at the foot of the couch, and it was in vain that Brangana tried to raise the quivering form of her beloved mistress, for Isolde's heart was broken, and with a last despairing cry, she fell back lifeless to the ground. Thus had the magic filter wrought destruction, and in death only were the lovers united. End of section 44